I grew up in um, a house that did not go to church except for on Christmas and Easter. But from the time that I was really little, I felt this incredible need to know and understand where I came from and why everything existed and had a, had a huge motivator to, to learn as much as I could in those few instances when I would go to church. As I got older and circumstances changed and I finally got to hear the gospel truth, it was as if someone finally confirmed what had always been inside of me and something I knew, which was that I did have a creator. I did know who God was. And to hear the message of salvation felt like as if the world finally was going to make sense. And it did. It wasn't much longer that I knew that I had a call to ministry and a call to continue to give that that voice to the gospel and to share that with others so that they wouldn't be lost and they wouldn't be wondering where they came from and why they existed. And it was a very long time before someone also saw that in me and helped me to find the path to go into ministry and to study theology and to do all the things that I feel incredibly privileged to do. Um, the Lord has done a great work in me and in the lives of others, and I continue to be so grateful. But it is undeniable when you look at a child or when you look at a young person and you can see that they are seeking out that truth it, it, it really does confirm that within exactly who we were made to be is written the instructions to find our way back to our Creator. Hey everybody, welcome back to Mr. Misfits. We're here we're in back, studio. Yep, still in studio. Yes, we're still healthy at the moment. Although I was in the children's ER again two nights ago with another one of our kids. So, but I'm healthy at least this time. That's good. Yeah, I'm glad we can still be back in person starting off, continuing to start off of the new year, but also the, the closing of season two. Yes, season two, not season three. Yes, we're moving into season three. We're closing down season two we've got uh, what three no five or six more episodes before we close that off so for the month of march there won't be anything coming out new episode wise although you'll still want to keep track of the website patreon members you're going to want to keep track there because we may be doing some bible study type things stay tuned for all of that but we're closing off season two Kind of, sort of similar to how we closed off season one. Season one, Brandon, do you remember how we closed off season one? What was the big thing we covered? It was a big series on... I'd say part of it was, I feel like, the Christian nationalism. Well, that was the Cold War theology stuff, yeah, which but... was part of the bigger picture, which was just church history in general, okay. right? Yeah. You know, we had we had Dr. Linville, we had Dr. Barr. Um, we completely unpacked Cold War theology for everybody. All of that good stuff. That's how we closed off season one. Season two, we're diving in a little bit to the both some of the Christian nationalism stuff, as well as some of the other abuses surrounding the Christian nationalism stuff. And so we're actually starting that today. And specifically, we're starting by looking at something that we refer to as the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Now, just to clarify, Patriarchy is different than complementarianism, and it's different than egalitarianism. And we're going to unpack why those it matters that we are differentiating all of that 
as we go through. But we're not doing this by ourselves because why? How would it look to have two males just talk patriarchy? Well, if, to give the sarcastic answer, I guess it would be it would look how it'd be it, fitting. It's always, it always yeah, it'd be fitting, right? It'd be a joke. Two, two white guys talking <laughs> about power, but no, we actually are joined today by Pastor Andy Avram, who she some of you on Twitter recognize her as at past her Andy, which we have to appreciate the good puns here, right? I mean. Come on. Um, but she also is one of the ones that she and I end up in the same threads normally going back and forth, not with each other, but with the trolls and just completely showing them that they obviously need to reread the Bible they claim they're quoting. And she also, though, we do need to start off with this. She also is the one that started and continues to promote the myth that we are females Myth busted. Myth is busted. <laughs> we we are obviously not, which is part of why you're here, but also to show you that I wasn't lying. We're actually men. Yeah, he goes, so, he goes beyond the memes. I go beyond the memes and the gifts. So, Pastor Andy, though, welcome on to Ministry Misfits. Thank you. I'm really excited to be part of this, for sure. So, let's just start talking about you, because you are, you're an ordained minister, you're serving there at your church, but you also have some other interesting aspects to you in general because you're also a military wife. Yes. And aren't you also, I'm trying to remember now if you had said, isn't one of your children also military? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I so have my husband. Military wife, for- military mom, and a pastor. So yeah. share a little bit about what that all is like. Well, I think it takes me into a lot of interesting conversations. And um, I think a few of my friends have said that I get away with a lot because I sort of get sympathy from different groups of people. I can get along with, you know, various different groups. But yeah, I've been a military spouse for, I mean, my husband, if you count his time in college, was in for 29 years before he retired. My son is currently active duty and, you know, really enjoys serving. Um, But I need to be clear my husband was Air Force. My son is Space Force. So among Ooh. all the military branches, we're sort of like on the least military side of things. And uh, it's sort of the most, I guess, corporate, I guess, of all of the military branches. I will say I have a feeling that there are quite a few military service members that are going to argue, first of all, that Coast Guard has that beat. But second of all, that <laughs> well, they're, there they're are quite the a few Air Force. Their homeland security. That's true. But I also would say that, you know, at least it's not as bad as a friend of mine who dad is a like hardcore Marine served in Desert Storm, everything. His brother is now a Marine, but then his, their their son went to the Air Force and became an MP within the Air Force. And so we are constantly seeing bickering going on between the two, insulting each other's service. I'm sure, yeah, it's the regular. Oh, yeah. You're not at the same level. <laughs> yeah. It that's yeah. a that's a fun one to watch. But yeah. So, you know, you you you've got the military side, but then now you also have the pastoral side. So you you shared a little bit in your testimony about the fact that you um you know you're you, you got your call to ministry somewhat early on, but that took a while to fu- to actually really recognize it and find support. So walk us through that a little bit. 
Sure. So my, like I said, I didn't really grow up in the church necessarily. Um, both of my parents started attending church actually after their marriage ended, which is, you know, really sad. And my dad was Lutheran. My mother was going to a Christian Missionary Alliance church. And at the time, um, and I, st- I think still, they had female missionaries, obviously, but not um, female pastors. And I, so I, I knew that women were barred from certain activities within the church. But I would talk to my grandmother, who was always, um, she was a Christian. She was the first woman on her board at the Lutheran church. She served all over the place. I would talk to her about how I had this call to ministry and, and even to preaching and things like that. And she told me that I should learn how to play the piano because that would make me a better pastor's wife. And mm-hmm. my desire to go into ministry and to serve was so great that I actually did learn how to play the piano. Um, I mean, I started piano lessons like at 11 and did it for years. But I, I just knew that that wasn't what I was called to do. And I continued to serve anywhere I could in the church, do whatever I could. When I married my husband, he absolutely knew and understood my heart in that. Um, when I went to college, even before I met my husband, I was at a Nazarene university and somehow still completely missed the message that women were um, ordained in the Church of the Nazarene. In that time in the 90s, in the sort of later 90s, there was still the echoes or the ghosts of um, that that part of feminism that had sort of infected the church and and created a situation where a lot of men were then discouraging women for being ordained, even though our polity did support it. So I kind of got caught into that where women were not necessarily being encouraged to serve in ministry. When I was 29 years old, that that call to ministry was still very prevalent. I was back in school because my kids were a little older and um, finally had pastors who said to me, we we see the gift of preaching in you. We see the gift of ministry in you. Tell us how we can support you. Tell us more about what you want to do. And that kind of, you know, put me on the path that I am currently on, which is in ordained ministry. So it sounds like you had at an early age, this holy discontent where you felt that calling on your life that God had placed upon you to ultimately live out the gospel, honestly. Um, And you said that eventually you met your husband and also had that call together. But was there anybody else that kind of came alongside you in the church early on that helped kind of affirm that in you? Or did you feel like that was mostly between you and God? Well, sort of, I mean, how can I say all of the above? Definitely. There was a youth pastor (laughs) that I worked with who, um, you know, just kept encouraging me to, to speak and to serve and all of that. And, you know, he said something about how, how I had these gifts and I had this ability um, and can, and started just asking me questions. And then the lead pastor of that church sort of did the same. As I went along, I kind of had this both and where I would have these male pastors because that's who I had in my life who would encourage me and, and ask how they could help but they weren't always fully familiar with the process of ordination or the challenges that a woman would face that they did not face. And so they had um, some shortcomings when it came to supporting a woman who was pursuing ministry. So it took a bit longer. Additionally, my husband moving constantly because of his job Mm. um, made that a little bit more complicated. But if it had not been for a husband who basically made me feel like I could do anything, um, that's just kind of how he is. And the many, you know, male pastors who kind of came alongside and said, let it, let us help you. Let us equip you. Let us teach you. You know, I wouldn't be here, but they had not helped a lot of women do that. So it did take much longer and it, and it was a little bit harder. 
um, I think that the 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 sheer percentage differences make that, you know, kind of continues that problem. When you mm-hmm. don't have a lot of women in ministry, then very few people are informed as to what might be some of the barriers that we face that our male counterparts don't. And that that really is a good place to start the discussion is the fact that the the percentages are so low that there are a lot of people that are either unaware of any women pastors or unaware of the, the trials, hardships, any of that. Cause this is one of the things that, you know, we've, we've discussed online, you and I have discussed, I don't think on here, but in person Mm -hmm. is the fact that, you know, growing up in the SBC, what we were taught was a very strict complementarian style of it is very much of, you know, women within a ministry are in certain settings. So children's pastors, the piano, the choir, um, you know, spouses of pastors, things like that, missionaries, you know, anything like that. And the examples that we had nationally of women pastors were ones that we were told stay away their prosperity gospel. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All of them were. And, you know, I had actually, we actually, well, we, because you're technically involved, yes. <laughs> issued, actually issued a public reply to Beth Moore about the, of, and an apology of the fact that, you know, we, I personally had never, looked into any of her stuff because I was told as a child, which then I had to apologize for making her feel old. Um, <laughs> I had to, you know, of that. She was a prosperity gospeler mm-hmm. when in reality she was a sports minister. So I should have been more aware of her going into sports ministry than I ever was. Yeah. But that's not what was told to you, but that's never what was told. And there was no reason to look past it because there were no other examples for me of any women in ministry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until I started working within the church and especially working with people like shout out Rachel Hunka, mm-hmm. who where we're seeing a woman that is called by God and equipped by God. And we already knew her and knew her story to know that she was not just being deceived. Yeah, I know for myself, I mean, you you walk through church and anything at an early age and you just kind of accept what's going on in the world around you. And you're like, okay, this is the norm. And so until either yourself starts to question or somebody tells you otherwise, you just think it's normal everyday occurrence. Um, So honestly, it wasn't until this is bad to say, but not until college that like it fully was presented to me of you're either in our church or not. And you have to make a decision now based Mm -hmm. upon this, that I was thrust into this quick, almost business-like decision of you need to figure out which side of the fence you're on and, and go from there. And then it was from that point where I tried to have conversations with people to learn because it was something I realized for myself that I wasn't aware of at an early age and didn't know how to fully process and engage. And that's part of why we want to have the discussion now. Here at the beginning, just talking with you about your story in general, is the fact that we there are, especially now that we are in a full-on social media age, even more so than we were pre-COVID, there are plenty of examples of women in ministry that are faithfully serving. You being one of them, at past her, Andy. 
Although just don't believe her when she tells you we're women. Now, the, the other side of this, though, and this is part of why we started out the conversation of saying that we are not necessarily saying complementary and egalitarian, which one is correct here. And we'll get into why we're not saying either one of those things as we get into the theology portion. But there is another side to this. I guess it's a three-sided coin. Sure. Math. If you couldn't tell from any of our interactions, math is not a strong suit on here. There's another side to all of this, which is patriarchy, which is neither complementarian or egalitarian, but is in all realities a abuse of power and abuse of scripture that promotes male dominance over basically everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is what we're going to start looking at and discussing both in terms of what it is, what it looks like, and how it affects people like Pastor Andy right after this break. We'll be right back. Season two of the Ministry Misfits podcast and our awesome theme song are brought to you by Laird Creative Agency. In our social media world, the next connection is always one click or scroll away, and your business has to be ready when they find you. That's why Laird Creative is always looking for ways to step your brand up. Whether you're looking to overhaul your brand one time with a new website, or want to save money by outsourcing your graphic and media content, Laird Creative Agency is here to help. Laird Creative's mission is to take the difficulty out of the creative process. With Laird Creative, you'll find a dedicated team of artists ready to tackle any creative need that your business has, big or small. If you're looking for an easier way to share the vision of your organization through thoughtful branding and creative content, find them at LairdCreativeAgency.com to get started. Mention the Ministry Misfits podcast and get a free consultation call. Laird Creative, step your brand up. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your online reach. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online listed on all major platforms within minutes of finishing your first recording. We just switched to Buzzsprout for Season 2 and have immediately noticed the difference. With Buzzsprout, you get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into your websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and Buzzsprout and the Misfits want to help you get started. Contact us for a free consultation call, and then visit our affiliate link to get started with Buzzsprout. Using this link not only helps support the Misfits, but it also gets you a $20 Amazon gift card. The teams at Buzzsprout and Ministry Misfits are passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. To find out more, go to www.ministrymisfits.com backslash affiliates. We're back. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today Andrew and I are with Pastor Andy and we just kind of got into the initial discussion a little bit about her testimony of growing up in the church at an early age 
uh, and just really feeling this holy discontent of almost her place within the church and how mm-hmm. she could serve and really call use that calling that she felt God was putting on her life in, in ministry. So now we're going to switch gears and get into the heart of our conversation today, which is going to be focused on patriarchy. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call this part the heart of it, because ideally this is not what we want people to look at as the heart of anything. (laughs) But we're going to start actually breaking down what it is we're talking about. Because again, if you don't know what the words are we started with, what this is not would be egalitarian, which is everybody is equal. In, in all manners of everything. Complementarian. It's also not complementarianism, which is a each everybody's equal in the sight of God, but everybody's roles are complementary of each other. That That's where the words are coming from. And both of those words really did not exist until 1988. So we'll start with the fact that if you're being told that this has been the way it is all the time, those words didn't exist until like what, 33 years ago, mm-hmm. but 35 years ago, math. But the word we're looking at today is patriarchy, which is exactly what it sounds like. It is this idea of a paternal order within everything. So we'll let you actually start, Pastor Andy, and give us what what is it that you would use as a definition for the patriarchy? Well, you know, it's funny that you should ask because I very purposely did not look up the definition of that word so that I wouldn't have this practiced answer to this question, knowing that this would come up. Um, But I'm going to start with this. I think that when we think about the patriarchy or when I've ever thought of it, it has been sort of that um, male-dominated headship, leadership, that that view of the world, that everything should be and would be appropriately led only by men and that women would only then be in the home at all times and serving in these domestic duties. Um, I often think about it in terms of vocation, which is that every vocation is available to men and that the only vocation available to women would be to stay in the home. Part of what that highlights, and this is a good place to start, is the fact that this is not just a church structure type of talk. Mm -hmm. Patriarchy is a full all of creation type of talk. And so there's a couple of arguments that are used to talk about this sort of thing. One of them that's really bad, and I don't have the picture, is the whole umbrella argument of God's up here, men are here, women, then children, and then creation. It's clearly depicting a levels it's it's all hierarchy mm-hmm. and it also shows that the creator has no idea how umbrellas work but <laughs> that is the idea of what it is we're talking about god is up top they will claim that notice i said claim mm-hmm. then they will say men then they will say women then they will say children and then they do specify that children even have dominion over the rest of creation. They claimed this because they said this is the order in which God creates everything in Genesis 1 and 2. Man is created first, then women, and then God says go and go be fruitful and multiply mm-hmm. and dominate the earth. Yeah. That's what the claim actually is. How it looks though, is 
a lot different than even just making that claim. Because if all it was was just, this is what they're saying the order of creation is, it would not be that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Still theologically wrong, and we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) But it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But there's a reason I said that they claim that they have God at the top umbrella. And that's because of the way that they interpret what the idea of having dominion over the earth actually looks like Mm -hmm. in terms of who actually has dominion. Mm. Now, you unfortunately get hit with this much harder than I do. Although (laughs) for a while there, I was getting the same flack because you were telling everybody that I was a woman also. I don't think I ever specifically said I might have put the screenshots up later. I'm just saying, (laughs) but How has this kind of mindset shown up for you, not just online, but just in life in general related to how women are looked at within the church? Well, you know, it's this isn't an easy question to answer, because I think that for me to speak on how it affects, you know, my, you know, just me, um, it's, it's hard to do at at my age now, I also have seen the fruit of it really hurting men as well. And I think Mm -hmm. that I think about, I'm often concerned about that because the patriarchy doesn't just say that men should be in charge. It has a very specific man in mind when it says this, right? There's, there's this picture of a, a specific alpha male who's powerful, who does all these things, which is another reason why when these conversations come up, one of the things that is often said to me that I find so upsetting is, well, your husband sounds weak. Your husband must be this. Your husband must be that. Now that has never been said to anyone who has met my husband or has met us in person, but that implication that a woman who is strong, articulate, intelligent, who pursues the Lord in every part of her life, including her vocation must be married to a man who has just given up or is weak or something like that. You know, that just really gets under my skin, especially because I am married to someone I admire so, so much. Um, But what I have noticed, one of the, go ahead. I was going to say, the other interesting side of that is the fact that you already said you're a military wife and you're a military mother. It's on on paper. It doesn't add up. And, And one of the things that, and now again, this is a broad generalization with this. But part of the reason that we're including this talk specifically in with the stuff we're dealing with with Christian nationalism is the fact that the people that are preaching this type of stuff are also the ones that are regularly getting on people for not honoring the military enough. Yep. But yet in this case, because of the fact that you have a military man and that's married to a female pastor and that raised a son that went into the military... It doesn't count there. Mm-hmm. There's just new rules to the game. It's completely different than when they apply it to anywhere else in society. So keep going. Sorry, I know I interrupted you, but that's one thing that yeah. I've always found yeah. fascinating when I see people talking about that. Cause you're, you're, you you just completely val- invalidated <laughs> your entire premise of everything else you preach. But continue. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, well, I, I tend to confound, right? Like they, they get very frustrated because they'll be like, well, you think this or you think that. And I'll say, no, right. I don't. And here's my life. I can show you this is not how I think this isn't how I function. And um, 
I will every now and then occasionally say, let me let me just tell you a little bit about the man that I'm married to. And, you know, of course, all of their assumptions just fall absolutely to pieces. But one of the worst things that I have noticed when it comes to this, the, the patriarchy in general is the way that it continues to infantilize women. It treats women as if they are children for the rest of eternity. They are only capable of this very small set of, of responsibilities. This is their domain. This is what they can do. And even within that, they are treated like children. Ironically, they are trusted then with the care and the feeding of children, people that they see, you know, they say Mm -hmm. women are overly emotional, they cannot be reasonable, they cannot be logical, they're ruled by their emotions, all of these things. Then they take those women and they say, go ahead and raise the next generation of people. (laughs) You know, it just doesn't make any sense because that would be a pretty important task, would it not? And so you're saying, hey, women are too emotional. They can't make decisions. They shouldn't even be trusted to choose who they vote for. But let's give them a whole bunch of children to raise and homeschool and all of these other things. And and that's the other, you know, one of the other things, you know, we talked about this with the Terrazas family, is that it's women are not capable of making decisions, except for that women are supposed to be the caretakers of our children, Mm -hmm. but they also can't let our children out of our sight because of the dangers of the world. And so the women are supposed to train and take care of these children in order to prevent them from falling victim to weakness while claiming that women are only capable uh, or their only strength is coming when they are bearing children. And it's all built off of this same sort of, well, I mean, heresy, really, bad theology out of, again, Genesis 1 or 2, depending on which one of the crazies you're talking to at the moment. Yeah. And not that it's an apples to apples comparison, but also if we look at the school system and structure, too, I mean, most teachers are female dominant in that field. And so, again, it's that very much the calling of teaching the next generation. And so, yeah, you're contradicting what you're saying if you look at the importance of who you're teaching. And and this does, mm-hmm. that all does play into, you know, you, you just touched on a little bit as far as the fact that this does actually hurt them in their preaching as well. You know, we talked about this, or actually I think it would probably be about this episode within the season order last season with Dr. Linville going through the muscular Christianity stuff. Where as far as muscular Christianity in its proper context is a great thing because it's about competing and showing God or, you know, doing what God has gifted you to do. It's about taking care of your body. It's about all these different things. But what it turned into, thanks largely to Teddy Roosevelt, was that it was about instead the Rough Riders charging up San Juan Hill and leaving everybody else behind. It's this picture of, again, a military picture of, you know, here's the great military leader. And in the process, it also ignores the fact that in doing that, they were in a lot of ways violating fed or international law to show off their manliness. Hmm. You know, the charging of San Juan Hill in a lot of ways, was a violation of a lot of international laws, at least international laws we have today. But we can't talk about that part because that part 
now makes this idea no longer viable. Hmm. And so instead we push it up and we take down anything that would stand in its way. So as we walk through all of this, we already said Genesis 1 is one of the biggies. There's a couple of other big ones that normally gets thrown around. We'll let you take your pick. Which one should we talk about first? <laughs> I am always, always, always going to choose that we start with Genesis 1 because I, although we know that actually I think Genesis 2 is older, that the, the first creation account is something that continuously gets misunderstood and it is life-changing to know what it actually says. So I always, I would always choose that. All right, so we know the story of Genesis 1. We know the story of Genesis 2. Again, we're not necessarily going to get into all of the hermeneutical sides of all of this stuff because we don't have time for that. (laughs) But for the most part, Genesis 1 is what, Brandon? It's the story of creation. creation. Genesis 2 then is the story of what? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. It's also the story of creation, though, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing that always gets missed when we start talking about these sort of things. Genesis 1 is a full creation story. Genesis 2 is also a full creation story. One is more poetic. One is more narrative-driven. And they don't contradict either, which is an important piece of this. They don't contradict. And before we get all that crazy email, we're not saying they contradict. (laughs) What we are saying, though, is that we need to actually look at them in proper order when we start talking about things, especially related to the patriarchy. So Genesis 1, the the argument is that. Well, actually, have you actually heard anybody argue Genesis 1 in a positive way for patriarchy? Normally, I always hear Genesis 2. I will try and figure out which one we should start with. So I have in that I, I, I had someone say once to me, it was, it was on Twitter. Um, shocking, right? Shocker. But I had someone say once to me, well, Genesis one was one account. Genesis two was sort of the clarification of Genesis one. Now they, they had right. obviously yeah. not been taught that Genesis two is, is older. And so I'm like, well, that, that's not true. Like we have, we have two different types of, of literature here sort of describing the same event. Um, so that was the one time I heard it. I, I, I often think it is avoided in this conversation because it doesn't right. build, build up this argument very much. However, it is the life-giving sort of portion of this for those who are trying to undo what they've been taught by the, by the patriarchy. Well, and it's literally the life-giving portion of scripture in general. Um, <laughs> just, yeah. just saying. Yes. Um, but no, the, the argument in Genesis, out of Genesis 2 is that Adam was created, placed in the garden, said, rule over the animals, right? Mm -hmm. He gets lonely. And so what does God do? Puts him to sleep. Puts him to sleep, takes a rib, makes Eve, right? They Mm -hmm. get married and he says, be fruitful and multiply all of that. All of it true. We are not disputing that at all. What we are disputing is that what the argument is out of that is that because... Eve was created out of Adam that she is now a secondary creation and not in a lot of ways, a Mago Dei. Hmm. She's created in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. And that's part of why we said when we talked about the horrible, horrible umbrella model, 
that they claim that God is at the top, but that's not actually what they preach. Because Genesis 1, specifically verses 26 and 27, do you have that up, Brandon? You look like you do. Yeah, I've got that one up here. So read verses 26 and 27. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Same manner, same time, with the same commission, and both in the image of himself. Mm -hmm. Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are created somewhat separate times, somewhat separate reasons. So how do we actually... How do we actually see how both of these things can work together? I'm asking you first. Oh, (laughs) I didn't know that was one of your rhetorical questions there. Um, Ask your question again. (laughs) So we've got we've got two different stories, Mm -hmm. right? You have Adam and Eve are created. They're placed in the garden. You have male and female are created in the image of God. And given dominion over everything. Mm -hmm. So how do those two things end up being able to come together as one true story that we understand and believe if in one case Eve is created in the image of Adam and in the other case she is created in the image of God? I think part of it we see God's design in in each of us to the fact that we're made in his image so we know who our creator is um but then there's also the purpose behind it too of god created man again in his image and then notice that hey he he's missing somebody he needs somebody and so i'm also going to create the female to be that companion for him and so i think there's that that purpose and place of why god why we see this in creation. And there were a couple words you said that are key to understanding this. One of them is that God created, not God forgot about a woman for Adam and then made something later. Mm -hmm. God created male and female in his image. And so that does give everybody their worth. That is literally what the doctrine of Imago Dei is. But the other part you said there was that he made a companion not a servant, not a secondary. He made a partner, a Mm -hmm. companion. And in both chapters, they are both given the same commands from God. Anything that we missed there? Because this is your favorite one. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I mean, I love it so much, right? Well, I think it was one of my first theology classes. I had a professor who said, you know, let's really examine the Hebrew in this and just kind of kept repeating, you know, they were made, they were made, they were made. And I was finally, it's just like, like a light went off for me. Um, 
I think a lot of women are given the impression that they were an afterthought, that they only existed for the purpose of men. When you look at Genesis 1, you're reminded, no, God created humanity, humanity in God's own image, male and female. And I think that, that you know, there's just a lot there that we could spend hours on on just that part. But if we look at, let's just look at Adam and Eve, we'll isolate it to that so the discussion doesn't go on forever. <laughs> so Adam humanity. So Adam, of course, wouldn't have been like a guy's guy. If there's no woman to be the, you know, the opposition to a man, we, you know, assuming this alpha male super dude is ridiculous because of course, without a, a woman, he would not have been aware of his maleness necessarily. So we have a person, we have humanity, we have the Adam and then God's like this, you know, this is better if we have someone to partner with this person in the tasks that they have to complete. There is no indication that that the that humanity needed to have someone to serve them for the rest of eternity. You know, if we are supposed to assume patriarchy and hierarchy, why wouldn't that have been very specifically mentioned? When we learn about the Azer, we learn about a partner who is equally sort of given the same commission and is equipped to partner in this work. And if you are equipped to partner in work, that means that you were equal to the task, right? Most of us, if we need help with something, when I need help with a task that is extremely difficult, I don't go find a child. I find someone that I think is capable. And so Eve was the capable, appropriate partner for Adam. And I think that, you know, we just need to look at it very strictly that way. This is a partner this was someone who was supposed to help, not somebody that would just be the boost so that, you know, Adam can get over the fence to get to the animals and take care of them. This was the person to also do the task that was given. And, you know, and it, when we don't acknowledge that side of it, part of what it does is it also shows a lack of understanding of even God being a God of order, which is the whole point of Genesis 1 is that we have an order of creation. You know, he doesn't make plants and animals until he's already provided land and water and, and oxygen and light. Mm -hmm. He doesn't put animals down until the plants are already there so that they have something to eat. You know, that is part of what we see out of Genesis 1. Whether you want to say it's just a poem or not, the poem itself is showing us a God of order. Mm -hmm. And... Part of what is missed a lot of times, especially when we talk Genesis 1. Genesis 1, during creation, Brandon, how is everything created? In one day? Oh, well, compartmentalized in one day. Well, least... how? How? How does, how does it happen? In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Mm -hmm. Earth is from us and void. And then God what? Are you saying the seventh day he's rested? I don't know what your God answer is. God says... Let there be light, right? So he speaks it. Into he existence. speaks everything into okay. creation. <laughs> except for one thing. And that's what you just read. Mm -hmm. Because it says when it comes time to make man, God says to all three of his persons, let us make man in, his, in our own image. And so they created him. Male and female. Mm-hmm. God doesn't speak us into existence. He actually physically creates us. That's part of the Imago Dei idea of we are creative beings. If 
God needed Adam to have a helper that was not as good as him. Why would God take the time to do a full anesthesia and removal of a bone out of Adam to create something that was lesser than Hmm. out of Adam's side. Right. It wasn't his heel. It wasn't his back of his head. It was his side. You know, why, why would God waste the time to do that? If it's somebody that is supposed to be lesser than, because everything else he speaks except for men and women. He creates them. This is part of what even the argument with for pro-life is all about. The idea that we see in Psalms and in Jeremiah and everything else, the idea of God knitting us together in the womb. Mm-hmm. There's a physical action of creation going on. It's not just a simple poof, there it is, or a whoop, there it is. <laughs> you know, all of that sort of thing. That is not what we have. So the question then is, how do we go from that idea of men and women, not only as equals, but equals in the image of God and equals to the task to what Pastor Andy was talking about as far as the way that it is taught that females are to be dominated over? Where does that come from? Do you think, Brandon? It's not Genesis 1 and 2. I'll give you that. Hint. I was going to say, prop, are we going into... Chapter three, chapter three, the next chapter. (laughs) And this is where things start to get very interesting because we haven't even touched the New Testament chapters yet. That's actually where I was expecting you to go was the New New Testament chapters, because normally that's where we end up spending most of our Twitter time on. But (laughs) yeah, Yeah, little do people know. I love to be in the Old Testament. Yeah. Genesis three. Is the story of the fall, right? You had mm-hmm. already said that. So what's the story? Give us a brief rundown of the story here. Full rundown here? Just a brief rundown. <laughs> so, so in the garden, yeah, and what happens? So you have the serpent speaking to Eve, saying, basically tempting her and twisting God's words to say, is that really what God told you, that you can't eat from this tree in the garden? And so then you see Eve talking to um, the snake or the serpent there and Again, just saying, hey, you must not eat of this fruit from the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And we see the dialogue go back and forth. Ultimately, she decides to eat from the tree. Um, and then at that point, her and eat, or excuse me, her and Adam realize that they are both naked and not clothed. And they immediately feel ashamed. Shame. Yeah. Sin is now an issue. God comes knocking, or walking, actually. God comes walking, and what do Adam and Eve do because of shame? They hide and cover themselves with. They hide, they cover themselves with temporary clothing, because that's all they know how to make. And God finds them, obviously, which is just a whole other theological thing. It's God's going to find you. But (laughs) the other side of this is he finds them. We talked about this with, 12 Days of Misfits, not this past year, but the following year. So we'll see if you can remember. He curses the serpent first, Mm -hmm. says you're going to crawl on the ground and I will put enmity between you and the woman, or her seed and your seed. You know, she will, he will crush your head. You will strike his heel, all of that. Obviously messianic. We know that. But then what's the curse for the woman, Brandon? There's going to be pain and childbearing. Pain and childbearing. And what else? Um, 
basically like laboring at the the field of you'll have that's Adam. Okay. Says so you will you desire for your husband and he will rule over you. Your desire will be for your husband and yet he will rule over you. Now, this is where it gets very interesting when we start talking about again the idea of is it God at the top or is it man? You and I found this out together, actually, because somehow both of us missed it when this actually was going on. But this was a discussion that we got into about a month or so ago about this specific verse, which is verse 16 out of Genesis chapter 3. Yep. You just read it out of what? And NIV. And NIV. Most, most translations, it's very similar to your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. It's almost pretty much almost every translation with a very few exceptions. And one of the big exceptions is within the ESV. The ESV is put out by the same people that are the council for biblical manhood and womanhood, who are our good friend, Dr. Barr's like number one rival, apparently. (laughs) Um, But they also are the ones that, actually coined the term complementarianism. But the thing that has happened is in 2016 with the ESV, if you have a newer version, that is what we just read is not what you will find. Right. Instead, you will find it say your desire will be for will be contrary to your husband's and he will rule over you. What's the difference? The Desire will be contrary. It just sounds like you're going to have completely different goals or alignments than your husband. You're not going to be one. And why does that matter? In relation to what we read in Genesis 1 and 2 to what we just read in Genesis 3. Is that we saw that God creates Eve, woman, for the companionship, for that partnership. As as Pastor Andy mentioned, of there's that in that partnership. Um, it doesn't always have to be 50 50 and I kind of hate that the numbers <laughs> side of things, but we're so good at numbers. Yeah. But, here. but there's that working together versus a we're on, we're on the same team versus you're going to have opposite desires of one another. And it goes one step further, contrary compared to a desire for your husband. What is it that's actually being longed after? If you're, if your desire is going to be to be contrary to your husband as opposed to to desire him, what is it that is actually at the center of the desire? I want to say God, but I don't know if that's... It's right. not God, obviously. <laughs> but it should be. But... It should be, which is part of our point. But originally, man and woman are one and working together. And based off of what we read in Genesis 2, man and woman love each other. Adam and Eve are are loving each other. Their desire is both to God and to each other. But in Genesis 3 with the verse that you read, now Eve's desire is still for Adam, but Adam does not return the favor. That's a curse. Hmm. But if you're saying that Eve was created already inferior, then it's no longer a curse because it's just status quo. Hmm. So instead, what has to happen? Now it's not about the desire for Adam's affection. Now it's a desire for Adam's power. Mm. Mm -hmm. And this is where things start to get very interesting when we have this discussion. 
is that patriarchy at its root is all about power. It's not about God. It's not about God's order. It's all about power. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting also, I don't know if, I can't remember if it was you I talked with this about or somebody else, as to the timing of when they made this edit. Because yeah. what was going on in 2016? I mean, there was the big election happening. With but also, who was that? That was uh, pretty... Trump, yeah. yeah. It, it blurs together. <laughs> Every, forget it. <laughs> everything related to the MAGA movement was all about mm-hmm. power. Absolutely. Everything was related to specifically white male power. Mm-hmm. American white male power. We've got to get really specific there. True. And so for the most part, it went unnoticed because of everything else that was going on at the time. That was also the time of the Obergefell decision which was the gay marriage decision. It was also the time of all of these other things. There were race, right? There were race protests going on everything. There was a lot of chaos going on. And so we made a change to this. So that way we can now say that patriarchy is not a result of the fall. The, that patriarchy is a correction of the fall. Mm -hmm. How many times, Pastor Andy, do you get called a feminist online? Oh, my gosh. All the time. And it's crazy. But my favorite, I think, is when they want to say you're a feminist. And so you believe. And then they have this list. Right. They'll say, well, I don't agree with that. Here's who I am. And then they get really angry with that because then they want to be like, well, then you're not a feminist. Well, okay, then I'm not, but you're the one who accused me of that. So like, what do you want? What do you want from me? <laughs> like it, it, you, you cannot get it right. You can't get it right at all. But I think that it is so easy to cast suspicion of, upon anything a woman says, does, wants, feels, believes. If you say, well, you are just being contrary. You're just arguing to be argumentative. You're just this, you're just that. You know, if, if you continue to cast women in, in the light of being overly emotional and con- and continuously contrary, then you don't have to take anything they say seriously, even when they're obviously correct. And this is where it gets real interesting that this passage particular is the one that needs to be highlighted as to where all of the hierarchy actually comes from. Is because, I mean, you, even you just going through and just trying to tell the story mentioned a specific line from Satan. Did God really say? Mm -hmm. Because he was twisting all of the words around. Yeah. And this phrase is typically the one that is used out of Genesis chapter 3 to promote this patriarchal model. Because we're saying Genesis 1 and 2 is saying that man and, e- man and woman are equal until the fall. And now because of sin, there's a hierarchy. But when we say that and people have been reading, you know, the desire is to be contrary. Mm-hmm. Not a desire for love. It's a desire for power. The response that comes back to us is, well, did God really say this? Mm. You're trying to twist the words of God to fit your narrative. But we just read that in reality, the idea of it being contrary is a twisting of what God really said. So, Pastor, how is it that you have found the as far as the best way to 
counter this side of the argument? Well, for one, I think as a pastor, it's really pretty simple because um, when somebody says to me, you just want to be a pastor because you want power or you want this or that, um, it's it's a really good segue into a conversation of what do you think pastoral ministry really is? Because mm-hmm. I certainly would not, if I wanted power and I wanted influence and I wanted all of those things, this is not the vocation that I would choose because we are to be <laughs> servants and we are to be there for each other. I don't, I don't know what's happening in their churches. Um, we don't, you know, so, so there's that part of it. I think the other thing is that people continue to say, well, women just, they, you know, they want after their husband's position. That's kind of another way that they will place that. If someone says the problem with women is they want after their husband's position, they are admitting out loud that there is one very much preferred position. Mm-hmm. One of the arguments of the patriarchy is how lucky are women that their entire task in life is to be in the home and be cared for while the men take on the the brutal, you know, task of working and bringing home the money and doing all these things. Why would you want to put that burden on women? Women should not have to take on that burden. Well, that really falls apart when you say, well, they just want after their husband's position. Well, if it's just a burden and if it's just a drudgery, who in the world would want that? It clearly <laughs> isn't just that. Otherwise, no woman would be like, yeah, that that sounds awesome. I totally want that. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, it all just kind of crumbles around them because none of that really can stand true for very long. And, and yeah, I... I'm always amazed when people have said, I've had it said to me, well, you just wanted, you know, the power, the money, the influence. And I, I'd love to meet their pastors because that is, I don't know right. pastors with a lot right. of power, money and influence. That, that's what it's always funny when people try to accuse us of selling the gospel. I was like, I, I almost <laughs> want to at some point actually like screenshot my bank account and show them. Because most of them are going to not realize that your bank account actually does turn red at some point. You know, yeah. that, that argument always cracks me up. But, you know, the, the idea of it being a power struggle is something that also just from a, you know, this is part of why, again, it fits into our Christian nationalism discussions. Mm-hmm. Is because there, again, part of what we've always said is that one of the easiest ways to take down the Christian nationalism stuff is the reality that the call of a Christian is to be what? To love God and love others, love God, love others. And we are supposed to consider others more highly than ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be humble in everything we do. Jesus is a humiliated servant. He gets down on his knees and washes the feet of the disciples. And he actually refuses to let them do the same to him. But if you talk about Jesus in that manner, the word that comes back is that you are feminizing him or you are looking for an effeminate God. Mm. Because again, we're back to muscular Christianity. It has to be, and it's not even the actual muscular Christianity, it's the toxic muscular Christianity of this is what men must look like. That alone is enough for us to should be enough for us to want this out of our churches. And again, this is not an anti-complementarian or a pro-egalitarian. This is a, we should want to return to what life was like before the fall. Mm -hmm. Whether that means that 
I know I have to give up position or not. The goal should be to be reunited and reconciled to God and to each other. That's what the whole purpose of the church actually is. And now we're going to kind of close out with one of the other more theological arguments against what we just read with Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. And this is one that I think this was the last time that you and I ended up on the same thread dealing with this, that I had never really noticed until... Ironically, somebody trying to prove patriarchy with these verses highlighted them in a very specific way. (laughs) And so we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5, which is the other one that is used a lot of the time. Now, Ephesians 5, part of the thing that gets interesting with this is that the way that the English translation breaks up the chapter changes the way that people are going to try to interpret this. So, Brandon, you've got the NIV up, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I still have that one up. So, in Ephesians 5, and specifically we're going to start in verse 21, is verse 21 start of a new section, or is it attached to the section above it? It is a new section. Within the ESV, it is attached to the one above it. Hmm. I don't know what you've got there, there, Pastor Andy. What, What translation do you have? The one I have in front of me is the Common English Bible, and it doesn't have as many um, subject breaks. So there's no break between 21 and 22. That makes it even easier. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've got the HCSB out at the moment, and verse 21 is attached to the section above it, which is not necessarily even a problem until you try to use it to promote a hierarchy. Because the section above it, so this is chapter 5 in Ephesians 5, and we're going to just starting in verse, we can even just start up there with verse 15. It says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with by the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Seeing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. That's where verse 21 is, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And it is part of this little like poetry section. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of that little poetry section is this is how we should live as believers, right? Yeah. We're living together in unity. We're not all out getting drunk and living recklessly. We're encouraging each other. We're singing together. We're making music joyfully. We're giving thanks. And it's all done in the name of Christ, which is why we have unity. And it is done that way because we are all submitting together in the fear of the Lord. All great. And that pretty much everybody, even within the patriarchy camp, would agree with that is part of what Paul is talking about here. There's no problems until until we yeah. get to the next section. So starting in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy clean make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the world. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. 
In the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, Pastor Andy, how does this verse get thrown at you regularly? Oh, they will often say, number one, I get accused of, of not believing in submission which I find fascinating. Oh, feminists, they hate submission, which I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about because I certainly would never promote that we just throw out Ephesians 5. Never would I ever do that. Um, additionally, they will just say, well, you, you must not submit to your husband. The thing that comes at me the most is you must have a tiebreaker. You have to have someone who has the final say. I've had people say, in your house, who has the final say? Now, I don't know about you guys. I have been married for 25 and a half years. Um, I was only with my husband for about six or seven minutes before that. So we truly have only been together about 25 and a half years. Um, we're a typical military family that way. We got married really quickly. But they'll say like, well, what about a major decision? Who makes the final say? In 25 and a half years of military service, two kids, um, parents that live all over the U.S., you know, lots of life events. We have two instances that I can think of where we were at an impasse. We had prayed upon this decision. We had labored over the decision, two instances. In one of those instances, my husband had to make a decision that, that could not necessarily involve me. And it was a, it was a rough one. He essentially just had to um, be voluntarily deployed before someone else. And, and that was a decision he could not talk to me about. He made the right decision. Um, and it was difficult. The consequences of that were that he deployed and I had a, a one and a three year old. That was hard. Another time was when it came to the potential for a PCS um, to Florida, which is neither here nor there. Nothing against Florida. We prayed about <laughs> it. We talked about it for months. I could not get a piece about it. And I, I, I've never prayed about anything harder. And I this is the thing that has knocked me off of the list for someone who is sort of covert patriarchy. That's a joke that is made on Twitter a lot is that we actually are covert patriarchy families. Yes. It is this one story that knocks me out of the category. So Jason, you know, had this opportunity to get stationed in Florida. It would secure the specific rank for him. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. I said, I said, I can't, I can't go. And so I laid before him this, this plan, but here's how we can, you know, separate our house. We weren't separating our marriage, but just here's how we can have you go be stationed there and I can stay here where we are and continue our lives here. Um, that was the thing, right? That sort of made it obvious that I wasn't just going to, you know, lay down and do whatever my husband wanted to do. That's two instances in 25 years. And in one, he made a decision and one, I made a decision. You don't need a tiebreaker in marriage because you are submitting to the Lord. And I think that that's one of the things that really breaks my heart about the way this passage is used is number one, we are called to submit to one another, which is right in line with the fruit of the spirit. Number mm -hmm. two, wives are absolutely called to their husbands. It's an example of submission. For example, wives submit to your husbands. Men are then called to love their wives as Christ loved the church, which is the most sacrificial love any of us could ever conceive of. Would we ever accept women who say, I'm not told I have to love my husband? Nobody would ever accept that as a gospel truth. If women said, Ephesians 5 says, I just have to submit and I don't have to love this guy. Nobody would accept that. 
But the patriarchy will say, absolutely, men should never submit to their wives. They are to love their wives. As if you can love someone sacrificially and never submit. I don't even know how that would be done. And so they kind <laughs> of pick this apart. They take this and this. They decide this is what marriage is supposed to look like. And they miss so many beautiful things that are in this particular text. And yeah, they throw it out as a weapon constantly. I don't know why we don't have a bunch of women who are tearing pages out of their Bible because they're so sick of them being used as, as arrows against them. Mm. I would never do that. Well, and, you know, surprise, we don't see it. <laughs> Just to clarify, she's not advocating for that. No, we don't need that floating no, around either. No, we should tear a page out of their Bible. Absolutely not. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the, the thing that's interesting with that, because this is the argument that from a male perspective, when you used exactly what you just said, as far as pointing to verse 21, the perspective coming back is, well, God, you're, you're, you know, this is the whole thing of the idea as well of, you know, Christ submitted to God. And so we're supposed, the men are supposed to be like Christ. And, you know, so we submit to Christ, but, you know, we, the, or sorry, Christ is the bride or the church is the bride of Christ. And so, you know, the bride is supposed to submit to, to God and nowhere do we ever see God submit to man is always the response. We would never want a God that submits to us, but we just talked about a story where Christ submits himself to the church, the disciples that are going to be the church within a few months from this event where he strips himself down washes their feet and refuses to allow them to wash his feet back. Mm -hmm. And it, and that's even the story that Paul go, goes with in this chapter and verse 20, was it 26, 25 of the idea of just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water mm -hmm. through the word, through the word is how he cleanses yeah. the church. But the picture that he uses is the same thing that he did back at the Last Supper. So we do actually have, first of all, a picture of Christ submitting to the church. But beyond that, and this is where, you know, we, it was originally going to be a blog, and then you know how that goes. It ended up just being a set of tweets instead. <laughs> Part of what we also miss with this chapter is the fact that this chapter is a direct reversal and callback to what we read in Genesis 3.16. Genesis 3.16, the curse for Eve was what? Beyond this, the childbearing side of it. Yeah. Now her, I'm going to get mixed up between our ESV desire, and NIV. Well, her desires to be for her husband, but he is going to rule over her instead, right? Mm -hmm. Now what do we have here in Ephesians 5.21? Wives, submit to your husbands as the as Christ, or yeah, as you would to Christ, right? You're now not submitting out of fear of rebuke from your husband. Now you are submitting because you're submitting to Christ. Yes. And you're submitting to your husband out of respect for Christ and out of love for Christ and out of love for your husband. Your desire is still for your husband, even within the curse. Mm -hmm. That's part of why Paul doesn't have to tell the women to love their husbands. Because that's part of what we already see has always been part of it. But when he gets to the husbands, now what is the command to the husbands? To love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives. 
the desire for her husband is now actually going to be returned. Husbands love your wives is an act of submitting because mm-hmm. we no longer are going to say we rule over you. Instead, we are going to actually return what you have been desiring since we screwed up in the garden. And I really think that key there is submitting to Christ first. Right. Um, yes. Going back to what we were talking about with the tiebreaker, there's a lot of times in which this can't be measured, but either the husband or the wife may be hearing closer from God at a certain point, like they're truly submitting to Christ. And we're again on that same team where you can say, no, I really feel like you said that the Holy spirit is calling us to this or me to this, that we're supposed to step into or not step into. And I think you have to have that deep conversation with each other as a couple to say, I'm going to trust the Holy spirit. I'm going to trust you in this instance, because maybe I'm not, my heart's not in check with God of where it's at right now. And it needs to be a posture check within myself before I just say, Oh, you know what? I've got the final draw every time. So however I feel today is just going to go over anything that you feel like the Holy spirit is calling you towards. Yeah. And that, that is why verse 21, it's just, you know, depending on what translation you have will determine where it's placed. Because if, the if this section is separate from verse 21 submitting to each other is not part of it but if this section of wives submit to your husbands husbands love your wives is part of this idea that paul is talking about this entire chapter of living a christian life then submitting to each other as we submit to christ is part of how we how we do that is through Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands submit by actually loving your wives. Mm-hmm. It's no longer something where we have this tension built up, this hierarchy built up, and now we actually have a real umbrella of Christ and then the family, which is what it looked like in the garden to begin with. Mm. And now, unfortunately for time, we can't get into the fun stuff of why you actually deserve to be called pastor. So you'll have to come back on for season three for us to actually do that whole fun, fun side of it. But in yeah, the meantime, anytime. tell everybody where you're at and uh, how they can get in touch with you. If, if you even want more people getting in touch with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people do reach out on Twitter and that has been a um, kind of a shocking platform for getting to talk to people. I've, I've actually really enjoyed that and been surprised, but yeah, I'm at Trey city church in Boise and um and a very grateful pastor there. It's a, an awesome church if you're in the area. Um, but generally, yeah, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of and hear from people often. And I'm grateful for that. So again, her Twitter is past her, Andy. It's a, a pun. And, you know, I, I just realized, oh, there it is. There I got it turned yeah. up this time. <laughs> um, but yeah, go follow her on Twitter. Enjoy the show, if nothing else. Um, just, again, Enjoy don't believe her when she's talking about us. Now, um, again, yeah, and again, her church is Tree City Church there in Boise, <laughs> Idaho. Um, it's treecitychurch.com if you want to look into that at all. Um, like I said, we'll have you back on and we'll go to the next section of this whole thing when we've got time. In the meantime, though, if you want to check out the rest of our stuff, mysterymisfits.com. 
you can find everything there. Listen to the episodes, read the blogs that I actually get around to writing. Follow you can follow the social media stuff there. Um, you'll be able to find Pastor Andy's social media stuff in the guest portal as well. Um, the store that's the other thing that I never yeah. remember. Um, the store is up there also. We still have a bunch of stuff. We're going to have some exciting things for our break time. We had right, a shirt coming out with some new stuff. Yeah, we had a shirt we designed like four or five months ago. And we're like, no, we're not. We're going to wait to release this one because this one needs its own release. <laughs> but um, that'll all be happening here in a couple of months as we shut down for season two. Uh, what's the other thing, Brandon? What am I forgetting? We've got the coffee available. Too. Yes, coffee. Um, giving Bean, which you can find in the affiliates link at ministrymisfits.com as well. And, and then, uh, oh, Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Ministry Misfits. Um, go sign up. We've got four different levels there. Um, some extra stuff there. And maybe if we ever get around to actually remembering to talk about it when we're together, potentially even doing some Bible study stuff with it in March. So I think that's it, right? I think that's all of them. Awesome. Yeah. Pastor Andy, again, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, going through all the the trauma of dealing with these people regularly. (laughs) If you, again, go follow her on Twitter at Pastor Andy. Um, You can go to the church there through the guest portal as well. All of that good stuff. Don't remember what we got next week. Do you remember? Yeah. Is it... um... The cast system. Oh, yes. Assuming that we actually get schedules worked out, we're going to be talking with Prudy Ray out of Mumbai, India, um, talking about the cast system and Hindu nationalism and how he's dealing with all of that fun stuff there through the same sort of theology work that we did here today with Pastor Andy. So in the meantime, we'll see you all next week. The Ministry Misfits podcast is a production of Ministry Misfit Media in association with Overwhelming Victory. Dr. Greg Linville and Andrew Fouts are our executive producers, and Brandon Simmons is associate producer. The Ministry Misfits theme song is written and produced by J.D. Laird and Laird Creative Agency. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at ministrymisfitmedia at gmail.com or by following at Ministry Misfit on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also visit our website at www.ministrymisfits.com or through bio.link backslash ministrymisfits. If you would like to support Ministry Misfits, you can become a patron by going to patreon.com backslash ministrymisfits.